Hello to all the rugby league diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go. My name is Tom Campbell and it's great to have your company. As we head into today's episode, you know how it works. We will cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Peter Sterling, first member of the NRL Hall of Fame to come on the podcast. And as good as he was as a player, he was just as good as an analyst and broadcaster. Sterlo retired at the end of last season, but that just didn't fit with my schedule. He can't be totally done before coming on Belgium's number one rugby league podcast. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Peter Sterling. I'm joined by Peter Sterling as the next guest of the Six to Go podcast. Hey, Sterlo, how are you, mate? Hey, Tom, never better. Uh, thanks for having me, me on and, um, yeah, enjoying, obviously, this time of year. No worries, mate. It's a thrill to have you on and I've got six topics to cover with you today and I'll kick things off with Nathan Cleary. Nathan Cleary, uh, I'd like to have a quick chat about his development. It's been a, it's sure. been a rapid one. Um, have you ever seen someone be so good so young? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I, I did describe him uh, at the end of last year as a complete footballer, and I guess I haven't said that about too many you know, players who are still in their early early 20s. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot to like about him. I think with young players, the first thing you look at is, you know, defensively, are they going to handle the rise into to first grade and be able to do that you know, week on week? And I've got to say, you know, he's an excellent defender. So that was certainly a box that was ticked. Uh, but a great, wonderful kicking game, very astute. Um, uh, the thing I think that really stands out in regards to, to Nathan is is his composure um, at, at such a young age. Like I, I know when I'm going back to when I played, you know, I, I had success in, in my early 20s, but a lot of that was down to the fact that I had guys like Ray Price and Ron Hillich and Steve Edge and Bob O'Reilly and Mick Cronin, all these really seasoned, experienced players around me. So I just had a very simple role and simple job. Whereas Nathan, I know that he's got, you know, Isaiah Yo and Fisher Harris and these guys, but really he's taken on the brunt of that responsibility um, that's at such a young age and he's just done it so cool, calm and collectedly. Um, I think that really stands out is his demeanour, his composure, his understanding of the game at a young age. And I think he understands the tempo in a game. He knows how to play with momentum. Um, so if, if his side is on top, then, you know, he, he speeds the game up. If his side needs a bit of a break, he can slow the game down to suit. So he's got a great insight to the game as well. So I don't know if that answered your question, but there's a lot, <laughs> a lot to like about him. And, you know, the great thing is that in three or four seasons' times, you know, he's going to be an even better player just because of the experience that he will get in that, you know, that period of time. How much do we owe the simultaneous success of Jerome Luai to Nathan's development? I, yeah, it's ideal, the fact that they came through as juniors together and have played a lot of football. Uh, you know, there's a real familiarity about their game and they complement each other, you know, particularly well. Uh, Jerome is you know, a real runner of the football, um, kind of that uh, bouncing figure that that's, you know, plays with great exuberance and enthusiasm and yeah, that's infectious in itself. But you've kind of got the calming influence of Nathan there to you know, just keep things on an even curl when needed. So you know, I think if you have a look at a lot of the great halves pairings, there is a bit of a contrast in the way that they play that, um, you know, one tends to be more a runner at the football. Not saying that Nathan isn't a good runner, because he is, 
but you know someone who's maybe more of a of a ball playing uh, type role, and and then you've got um, the effusive kind of player around him to you know to take advantage of that. And and obviously Cleary and Luai have done a fantastic job over the last couple of seasons. I'm of the belief that in the grand final, just gone, if Nathan Cleary was kicking for South Sydney, South Sydney would have won. And that's not that's not a knock against the South halves. That's just how good Nathan was that night. Uh, what, what is the most impressive aspect of his game to you? For me, it's his kicking game. Well, it's a huge part of it, isn't it? Um, yeah, kicking in today's game, I guess it always has been, but I think kicking even more so important these days with the changes in momentum. Um, and when a side does get momentum, their ability to really, you know, uh, put, well, sometimes put the game out of reach very, very quickly. Um, and, and as I say, we go back to Nathan's composure, his understanding. Uh, I love players who kick early, especially after uh, scoring points, you know, just to put the onus back onto the opposition, maybe force an error and, you know, really ram it home. And um, there's no fear in his game. And uh, you put that alongside an understanding of what kick is needed at what particular time. Um, and his execution, obviously, is very, very good. Uh, some of his high kicks uh, for the back three were, you know, they, they were, they were terrorised. Um, but that's, you know, in today's game, that's what you need to do. It's It really just doesn't cut it now, putting up a high up and under. You've really got to sort of be able to put up a different type of kick. And, you know, he kicks the ball in the belly so that it floats. He's got the spiral kick so that it moves late. Um, so he's got a great variety of kick, but most importantly, he knows when to kick, what type of kick is needed, um, and how to get the job done off the boot. I'd like to ask you about the role of locks in the game. It seems like over the past 15 years, the role has developed from uh, a third front rower into almost a third half. We've gone from lock forwards like Greg Eastwood, Sam Burgess, Paul Gallen, for example, and now we've got Isaiah Yo, Victor Radley. Uh, Cam Murray, I'd even throw Brandon Smith in there. Uh, first of all, what type of player would you like to play with in that position? Uh, see, Tom, I go back a lot further than you do. I go back to the days when the lock forward uh, was a number eight. Uh, yep. he, he wasn't the number 13. And going, going, going back those years, they basically were a, were a cover defending player. And some of the most graphic images um, you'll see of the likes of John Raper, God rest his soul, and, and Ronnie Coote, uh, those you know, scything boot lace tackles coming across in cover defence, where they played on an edge and basically played that role. Then they, they sort of were pushed in a little bit or pushed more up into the front line. Uh, I, I played alongside Ray Price, which was an absolute joy. So kind of workaholics. And as you point out, in recent times, uh, the now number 13 uh, is, is a middle forward. But um, again, the evolution of that is, I think, on the back of the quick play the ball and how vital it is in today's game because the games are really all about momentum now. Um, and the way that you get momentum and you get a hold of the contest is to be better in the play the ball area than the opposition. Now, if you are getting quick play the balls, it's not ideal to have to rely on your halves to come in and take advantage of that. So now to have a lock forward who can use the football, who's got a little bit of footwork uh, that can punch in on the back of a quick play the ball, uh, has a pass in them so that they keep the role going, and then on the back of that, you've got your seven and your six who can, you know, continue that the carnage type thing. So um, it, it certainly is advantageous to have a a lock forward these days who can play with the football, uh, has some footwork, uh, can pass 
you know, before and, and through the line uh, because that just takes a little bit of pressure off the halves having to do that. But it's all about the momentum from a quick play of the ball, which is paramount these days. If you speak to any players in the NRL and you ask them what's the most important thing, it's the speed of the play of the ball, how you can get yours going as quickly as possible and, and how you slow down the opposition. Um, and that's where, you know, you get momentum and it's so hard to rest it back in today's game. I've seen you break this down before, and Isaiah Yo at Penrith. It, it, if you if you just watched Isaiah Yo in a game, it is like magic. It is it is the way he is able to to help Nathan and Jerome um, on the back of the quick the quick play the ball, like you said. Whereas uh, Cam Murray has got the quickest play the ball in the game. Is it is it the fact that um, you know generally lock forwards, you know, they're all they're all great runners of the football as well. That it's almost like having an extra. You know, like it's almost like having. I know that this is a bit of a weird comparison, but two Jerome Luai's out there in the Penrith case. Yeah, um, kind of. It's yeah. Um, it's just having somebody you know closer to the play the ball area, who um, you know is, is not going to waste that quick play the ball that we're, we're talking about. The other thing that I'll throw in, Tom, is is also the way that the role of the fullback has changed, um, because that has an impact on your six, seven, and now 13. Um, again, going back in the day, your fullback was basically the last line of defence um, and really only got into the attacking side of your game and that was you know, coming in between centres who used to play on the same side of the field and get the fullback to chime in and create an overlap. Now they play more like a, a Jerome Luai. I think more than an Isaiah Yo, it's more um, you know, Dylan Edwards who fills that role because they sweep around now you know, maybe two passes, three passes wide, um, and then has a pass in that run to actually open up things on the outside. James Tedesco is the perfect example of how his passing game has developed. And a lot of this goes back to Billy Slater, who came in and was probably at the forefront of coming in and playing like that extra uh, wider ball player. Uh, but this has an impact on this 13 uh, as well. So, um, you know, roles have changed across the park. Um, and the fact that the one now plays the way that he does allows the 13 to play his way, and all of this helps your seven and six who can sort of stand back a little bit more, uh, take in the situation and, and know when to put their foot down. Is that what separates good teams from great teams? Because if you have a look at the top four last year, you got Storm, Brandon Smith, Isaiah Yarp, Penrith, Jake Travojevic at Manly, and um, Cameron Murray at South. Is, is that is, like they're... If they're not the four best in the game, they're close enough. Is that what separate? Like, is is the position that important now that it can elevate a team that much? Oh yeah, no, it's very important, no doubt about that. I wouldn't say that it's the difference between, you know, maybe a good team and a great team, or even a team, you know, to go on and win the premiership. You know, you, you know, good coaches will work out what type of players that he has, and the best way to utilise those talents. Um, but yes, you know, take a guy like Dale Finucane. You know, it wasn't that long ago, Dale pretty much tucked the ball under the arm and, you know, it was a workaholic. Um, now you look at him, he's, he's developed a passing game and that's, you know, that's helped the Melbourne Storm and it will help, um, you know, I think what, he's gone to the Bulldogs now, so that'll, that'll, that'll help um, go there and, and, and add to their side. Um, so it's, yeah, you, you can still only utilise the talents of what you've got, but it does seem, it's no coincidence that the 13s now are much more, you know, they have the ability, I love, you know, seeing a first receiver who can, 
you know, shaped to pass outside, but is actually passing inside. And we've seen any number of those players that you've just mentioned able to do that. Normally, when you'd see a seven and six do that, now we see that from the thirteens, and you know, that's really hard to defend against. Okay, Sterlo, let's move on to the Parramatta Eels. What are they missing? I knew here? we'd get there. <laughs> what, what are they missing here? Why are they? Oh, why are they a very good team? They are a very good team, but why can't they break through? Well, I've said for quite a while, Tom, that you know that to win a premiership, you've got to have a lot of things go your way. But ultimately, if you have a look, it's the best defensive team in the competition will generally take out the title, uh, or will certainly be in the grand final. And there may be, you know, we might go back to 2005, with all due respect to the West Tigers winning that year. You know, they they won their grand final, I think, on a different type of game where they. You know, they played to the edges through Scott Prince and Benji, um, and it was there was sort of that was that was a different year to certainly what we've we've seen since. Um, until Parramatta can consistently win games against the top teams by a scoreline of eight six or ten eight or fourteen ten or whatever, um, you've got to be able to win those type of games consistently. Um, and Parramatta have been unable to to do that. Now, you know, I think we're all heartened by the fact that a couple of games at the end of last season, and most notably that, you know, two-point loss to Penrith, showed that they're not far off the mark. But there have been too many times over the last couple of seasons, and this is for a top four or top five side I'm talking about, where against the Roosters and, and the like, the game has been in the balance with 20 minutes to go. There hasn't been much in the scoreline. But invariably, it has been the other team that has been able to finish stronger and get on top and sometimes run up a bit of a scoreline in that last 20 minutes. So Parramatta have not been a resilient enough football team over the last couple of years. Um, They're getting there, but also that I think that window of opportunity is is certainly starting to close. So you've got to strike while the iron is hot and the, 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 the iron has been hot for a little while now for Parramatta, but they just haven't had that ability against the best sides to do it week in, week out in, in really tough situations and win by only conceding a, a small amount of points. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful at the end of last season and a couple of those performances they can build on. And if they can do that... Now, don't forget, you know, this is a side that were wooden spooners, what, six years ago type thing? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we've often said that, you know, it's a fantastic effort to go from 16th to, say, 5th, which is what they've done in that period of time. But we also acknowledge the fact that to go from 5th to 1st is probably even more difficult than yes. rising, you know, from, from the bottom of the ladder to, you know, to be playing finals football. Then to, to take that next step, um, you know, it's it's a tough task. And, you know, Brad Arthur has been enlisted with the job to try and get them over the line. He's done a fantastic job to now to get them this far. But I'm you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that they now have an understanding of what needs to be done to to win those games that they've been unable to do against the best teams in the last couple of seasons. I spoke last week to Brent Reid about how I thought Dylan Brown's last year, when you really look at it and break it down, was extremely lacking when you consider his natural talent, his hype, and to to be fair, the money he's on. Um, what, what's one thing, if, if you're advising Dylan Brown, you would, you would want him to focus on? No, I just want him involved. I just want him, I want the football in his hands. 
often. I want him to want the ball. Um, I, I think that when when times get very difficult, um, you know, you don't want players becoming anonymous. And I think, with all due respect to Dylan, that yeah, you know, he tends to drift out of a game in those circumstances. Um, since he's been in the in the top grade, I go back to you know I was talking about Nathan Cleary. The first thing I look at for young players is is their defence. He's been he's been tremendous defensively the last couple of years. But we just need more with him, more out of him now with the football in hand. And not just when things are going well. You know, I, I want him to actually want the football more when the side's looking for a lift or they're on their back foot or they're in you know, a, a degree of trouble. That's when you want your playmakers to, to really you know, lift those around him because that's infectious. You know, the rest of the team are looking for your playmakers and their body language as to how they're travelling. Um, and as I say, in, in difficult situations, I just think Dylan drifts out of the game and that can be infectious as well because the players around him can, can sort of feel that and uh, maybe get caught up in that type of mentality. So um, in answer to your question, I, I just want, I want Dylan with the football in hand a lot more often, uh, especially when things aren't going well for the side. Just to finish off on Parramatta, they lose Reed Marnie at the end of the year and Josh Hodson comes in. Can I get your thoughts on that move? Oh, I'm, look, I'm really disappointed that Reed has um, gone back to the Bulldogs. Um, I don't know what the, the situation is in regards to the offer and you know whether it was one. Like, you know, I'll never approach a young player. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, grabbing the contract that they can, but um, you know, I think we got him for five thousand dollars from the Bulldogs a number of years ago when we turned into a, um, well, basically a state of origin representative, you know, chosen in the squad to Queensland. So um, he's done very well at, at our club and I'm hoping that he'll have a bumper season next year as well before he does leave. But you know, he's a young player and his football, his best football is you know, still to come and it's going to be hard to watch him doing that in another another team's jersey. Um, but if you're going to lose uh, Josh, then... Uh, um, to, to lose Reed, a, a guy like Josh Hodgson coming in is, you know, it softens a blow to a degree. I'm, I'm a huge rap on him. I know that he's getting quite, well, he's closer to the end of his career than the start, but I, I just think he can do a great job for Parramatta. His experience, his understanding of the game as, as well, um, seasoned player. And, you know, realistically, the, the Achilles heel for, for Parramatta in the last couple of years has been the lack of depth in that hooking role. Um, you know, to, I thought that guys like Ray Stone um, came in and um, Lussick, you know, um, did a good job. Lussick did a good job as well. But, you know, if Reed Marnie wasn't on deck, then we certainly lacked some, some, some depth there. So hopefully Josh will come in after Reed and we'll bolster that with some players around him. I think Mitch Rain has come to the club as well. Uh, I could I could be wrong. It's off season, so I'm not. <laughs> I haven't read as much lately. But um, it's a, it's an area that Parramatta have needed to bolster because we've been a bit skinny there in the in the last couple of years. To lose to lose Reed Marnie is it's a real blow. But I'm a huge rap on Josh Hodgson. Sterlo, the Titans are putting a lot of eggs in some very young baskets with a spine of Campbell, Brimson, Sexton, and probably Clark. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brimson to six? Yeah, um, look, I, I, I've hardly seen him play much in that position, so it's kind of hard to, to, to judge whether you know he's got the kind of game that would suit that role. He's a footballer, yeah. and, and that's a big, you know, that's that's a real plus for him. You know, he does look like the kind of player that no matter what number you put on his back, 
then he's going to have an impact for you. So, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the plan is up there. Um, you know, I, I, I really liked, um, you know, the halfback who went to Canberra. Um, Jamal Fogarty. Jamal Fogarty. Um, yeah, so, you know, that would not have been an easy decision to allow him to go. And obviously, with Ash Taylor uh, not there as well, there are opportunities. So, um, yeah, yeah, obviously they know the situation up there and they've they've made a, a commitment for the future with a, a young guy like Sexton, uh, who in his limited time in, in the top grade, you know, he, he didn't look out of place. Um, Brimson, um, you know, as I say, he's a footballer. I think he'll handle the six. I like him at one. But again, you can you, you know, you've got to go with what you've got and and where the coach thinks that he'll get the best input from those players and you know, obviously they think that that AJ Brimson is a you know is an NRL 58 and and um, can take the type of form that he displayed out the back up into the front line they were a finals team last year and they lose Fogarty their most experienced member of the spine um, is is going this inexperienced a risk you could personally justify because I'm not sure what the ceiling is, but the floor could be a disaster. Yeah, look, I time will tell. I, I don't know. As I say, I I don't quite know what's coming through up there. Uh, they obviously have a plan in place, and you know they've you know last year was there were some really good signs there with the, the type of football that they played. That's you know, under Holbrook, I, I really liked some of the 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 way they approach games. You know, they were they were actually a breath of fresh air. Um, you know the fact that they were prepared to attack from from kickoffs and those kind of things, and I thought their forwards did a good job. I thought Jared Wallace probably had his best year since he played Origin. Uh, Tino is is going to be a huge buy. Uh, Fafita is, is will get better. So yeah, there, there's plenty to build on on there, and uh, yeah, their style of play is different to other teams. And um, again, Justin Holbrook obviously knows what type of footy he wants to play, and he and he knows better than anyone the type of player that. He needs to play that type of football. So I'm prepared to, to back him and, and show confidence that you know, he knows the direction that the Titans are heading. Um, you know, the, the last year or two, it's been an upward spiral. Um, you know, I'd like to think that that will continue. But uh, again, only time will tell. But I, you know, I think it would be a disappointment if they didn't play finals football next year again. Stella, I'd love to know who's a player that's playing today that you would have loved to have played with. Now, they don't have to be the best player. Just who would you have loved to have had in your team? Oh, gee. Um, well, look, it, it may well be pretty much the best player. I, I think, you know, to play with Tom Trebojevic yep. would be would be something special. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, to have a player like him in your team that, can make the difficult look so easy and can, can turn games. And, and look, basically, win, I won't say win games on his own, but, but to be so dominant, um, in, again, in such a short period of, of time in games and that where you know, he can be involved in two, three, four tries in a 10-minute period and the game's over. So, yeah, to have – to be able – I think, you know, the, the, the confidence that teams get out of their fullback is, is so important. Um, it's kind of like that security blanket that you have. So to have Tom Trebojevic, you know, in behind, knowing that he can get you out of trouble both with the football and defensively, 
um, that's yeah, that's a really nice feeling for a player in the front line to know that you've got that artillery behind. So, yeah, I, I think I could I could really enjoy 80 minutes uh, knowing that that Tom Trebojevic was playing in the same colours as I was. He had a phenomenal year last year. There's no doubt about it, and one of statistically one of the more dominant years ever put together. Have have you ever seen a, a year like that? Because you know he missed the first four weeks and maybe one or two others due to origin, but he missed the first four weeks of of um, uh, through injury, but he lapped everyone in the Dalliums, and I think he set a record. Yeah, look, I, you know, I'm sure that there probably have been um, periods during seasons in the past. Like, you know, a guy like Jared Hayne obviously had a golden period going back over a decade. But to come in and do what Tom did, not just at club level, um, yeah. you know, what he's done at, at Origin, um, you know, has been phenomenal as, as well. And there was some raised eyebrows when Brad Fittler you know, chose him in the centres. Um, but really, I, you know, I never had any qualms about that because you just know that he's he's just going to impose himself on a game, um, and he you know he obviously did that, and I think he scored a hat trick over in Perth, and uh, you know he's 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 just been phenomenal in the last couple of seasons. Hopefully, you know injuries will will um, stay out of of his career, and and we'll just continue to see, to see the best. But you're right, that's Stella like coming in. Um, you know, not starting the season and having a bit of a checkered pre-season, which can sort of inhibit players, you know, markedly. Um, it can take them a long time to sort of find their or hit their straps if they haven't had a, a great off-season. Well, Tom just came in and from game one was the best player and, and was pretty much every week. So um, I, we'll see more of it. Yeah, that's this is this. It's the tip of the iceberg with Tom Tabovich. There is still so much more to come. Um, and you know, if I'm a manly fan, you know, you just you want this player to be playing at the club for life because you don't let these players go anywhere else. Finally, Sterlo, I'd like to ask you about your own career. You went from successful player to successful broadcaster. Now, I'm not trying to embarrass you here, and I'm not just <laughs> saying this because you're on the show. But in my opinion, you're the best player turned broadcaster there's been. Uh, well, did thank you, you. Did you feel it was a natural transition going into that role? Uh, no, not really. Um, although I suppose, um, you know, I've, I've said before, I didn't play a lot of football uh, in the last two years of my career because of a, of a bad shoulder. Uh, so I spent a fair bit of time on the sidelines and I was given the opportunity to, to do some media work on the sidelines um, it, during that rehabilitation. So when I retired because of the shoulder, um, the transition was made a little bit easier because I'd already done some stuff, you know, but it was still... You know, I've always said that at 32 years of age, it was a stark realisation that the bulk of my working life was still in front of me. And, you know, back in, in, at that time, you, you certainly weren't prepared for life after football anywhere near as well as they are these days. So, you know, without, without an opportunity to step into the media, I, I've got no idea what direction my life would have taken. But the transition was certainly made easier because uh, Channel 10 at the time had the footy and I was able to do some sideline work for them. And then uh, when I pulled the pin um, and Channel 9 offered me an opportunity, um, it was, you know, I was, I was, I wouldn't say terrified, but I wasn't sure that I could, could do the job. And um, I was very fortunate that at that time, you know, the people around me, were fantastic. A guy called Gary Burns, who was the director of sport at Channel Nine, was he was phenomenal. He employed both Paul Vorton and myself. Uh, Ian Frickberg 
who just one of the great television men. Yeah, you know, he he was putting together deals for the English Premier League, and you know, um, had been around elite sport. And then, of course, you know, um, Kerry Packer. Even though I never, you know, spent a lot of time in his company, I always felt the support of of the Packers all all the way through. So I had really good people around me, um, and it it never felt like work. And that's been the best part of the job was that. You know, I just, um, I went along and was still able to remain close to, you know, what my passion was. So uh, the transition was easy that way. It was just I didn't want to embarrass myself, you know, stepping into a new role and getting it wrong. Working in media myself, I know that there's, you know, for for everyone who is on air at some point, there's always one or two people behind the scenes that um, that uh, really, really help you um uh, pr- progress along your journey and yeah uh, uh, you, you mentioned a few there but also the fact that you came into media roughly the same time as fatty was that was that was that like a um you two are obviously quite close <laughs> mates was that was that um was that beneficial to go in there with someone at the same time oh who knows <laughs> who knows i don't know look fatty that you know the when you, you you're looking to do something and you put a four and against column, <laughs> uh, he, he, he he was he was in both. <laughs> um, and I think the first time we worked together, that was the infamous time where he described the, the Walters brothers as being from Two Head City. Um, <laughs> you know, and there was an uproar about that. Um, and Paul had to explain that this was a term of endearment that he was from Brisbane and from Nipswich that was just you know it was it was there was nothing derogatory about it at all but he he, he was forced to ring the mayor mayor is actually of, of Ipswich to to um apologize which he tried to do um but unfortunately the mayor is kind of kept butting in and saying but no look it's not good not and eventually Paul had had enough and at the end of the conversation basically said uh anyway which head am I talking to and hung up <laughs> but uh, I, I didn't know Paul particularly well when we uh, went into the meeting together. But I think, well, I know we, we both had a very strong respect for each other as players. And so that was a really nice foundation. And we pretty much found that, you know, from day one, you know, you talk about the contrast, or I was talking about the contrast of the six and seven type thing. There was a real contrast between us. I was probably a little bit more serious than 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 him. Um, yeah, he he had his own inimitable style, which you know I I sat next to him for a long time on a Thursday night on the on the footy show, and people people do not understand how difficult live television is to host, um, and to do it for an hour and a half or two hours as he did with no script. Um, you know, if you make a mistake, there's no there's no safety net, and yeah, you know, he just he just did it in his own way and. And I think the best thing, Tom, we ever did was that we understood that the media can be a pretty um, fickle vocation and things could change yeah, in 24 hours if, if they want a new voice or a, or a new direction or anything like that. So we always treated the job that it could finish tomorrow. And uh, ridiculous to think that we, we got through 30 years of doing that, but that was our mentality, that we're just going to enjoy it for what it is for as long as we can. And, you know, when... When we're told to pull the pin, we'll move on. But until then, we're just going to have a really good time doing it. And and that's exactly what we did. 
Well, Sterling, that's all I've got for you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Like I said earlier, it's been a big thrill to get you on and hopefully it's not the last time. That's very nice. Thank you. Um, thanks for kind words. And no, it was good fun. It's, it's nice to look back, and, but I'm, all, I'm, I'm really keen to be looking forward now as to what's, you know, what's to come. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. Thanks, Tom. Cheers, mate. A big thanks to Sterlo for coming on the show. He's recently turned full-time golfer, so to have him on the show to get his thoughts was great. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at TCanfell. And don't forget to give the 6 to go Facebook page a like as well. My name is Tom Canfell. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And until next time, this has been the 6 to go podcast and that is full time.